ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. We have finally reached the last event of the FedEx Cup season. Rex and I will give our takes on the Tour Championship as well as Jay Monahan's State of the Tour address. He just completed over at Eastlake. Plus, the top six Americans are on the U.S. Ryder Cup team. This is the last week to make an impression for Captain Zach Johnson. We will fill out our roster before Captain Zach Johnson and company do the same. Rex, you are in Atlanta. It is not yet 98 degrees, as it will be later this week. I'll be joining you on Thursday and apparently bringing uh, some more heat and humidity as well. We just listened to Jay Monahan's uh, press conference. First one he has given since uh, early week at the Players' Championship. You also had a roundtable discussion with him two weeks ago in Memphis. Uh, didn't seem to be a whole lot of new ground covered, but what was your biggest takeaway? Well, that was first. I don't want to say it was an issue because him sitting down with us two weeks ago in Memphis was, was probably a, a positive step. I, and I, I think I said this on the podcast during Memphis after that. He's really, really good at winning press conferences. That's the one thing I will say about Jay Monahan. And this was this is it's kind of a backhanded compliment. I don't particularly mean it backhanded. I mean, I think he's very charismatic. I think when he answers questions, he tries. He tries even when he's in an awkward position where he can't give away a lot of details. He does a better job than his predecessor, Tim, Tim Fincham, does. I did not feel like in Memphis he was comfortable at all. He seemed defensive. He seemed out of sorts. He seemed a little It was not on camera, correct? It was not on camera. I think this was this being pretty much his first time back in any kind of public spotlight. Uh, and I don't even think it was necessarily he was uncomfortable around the media, which I think he was. I think he was uncomfortable really just being in Memphis. I watched him on the range. On Wednesday, you know, as players were sort of practicing, he really wasn't engaging with any players the way he normally does. And I think this all goes to the idea that, look, he has a lot of work to do to rebuild that trust that we've talked about that he lost on June 6th. And I think it's a very uncomfortable position for him. All that being said, I felt like today was more of what we've come to expect from Jay Monahan. He won the press conference today. He spoke for 19 pretty much uninterrupted, uninterrupted minutes. That was amazing. And- Did he not have a prompter? Uh, no prompter. I don't even think he took a breath. I kind of had to giggle at our colleague, uh, Eamon Lynch, who was st- sitting next to me during the press conference. I was like, man, this is not going to stop anytime soon. He's just going to keep going. And this goes to what I think today was all about. He needed to try to start changing the narrative. He needed to try to start spinning things forward. I think Eamon and I walked out. We just did a hit on golf today, essentially talking about the idea of 
he, he started using some new phrases. And I thought it was interesting the way he used positive those outcome. phrases. Positive outcome. And the way he used that, and I don't think positive outcome and definitive agreement are, ex- are mutually exclusive. I, I, I envision a world where a positive outcome means that there isn't a definitive agreement with the PIF, which opens up all kinds of new conversations that we can have either today or, or down the line. But even though he has to do this in good faith, the negotiations with the PIF, this is all part of the framework agreement. They have to sit down and try as best they can to come up with some sort of definitive agreement that gets us to NUCO. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. There is a deadline, December 31st at the end of this year. And I think today was the first time in, in code, positive outcome, that he sort of opened the door to, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be in business with the Saudi Arabians. It doesn't mean we're necessarily going to be in business with the public investment fund. And that, to me, was fascinating. Yeah, that's a very nuanced phrasing. I, I wonder how long it had taken them in planning meetings to settle on that because it can be interpreted several different ways. It doesn't necessarily mean that the deal is going to be with the PIF. It could mean outside money or whatever the case may be. Jay Monahan said when asked specifically if he thought that a deal could be done by December 31st as what is written in the framework agreement, he said, at this point, no, I don't have any reason to think that we won't be successful successful in reaching a deal. The deal may be that there is no deal. Uh, So I thought that was very cleverly worded. Uh, Just buttoning some things up, like Ron Price, Chief Operating Officer of the PGA Tour, Tyler Dennis, President of the the Tour. Uh, Tyler Dennis was in the press conference with Monaghan today. He said that they are talking uh, actively engaged weekly, multiple times a week with representatives. There's an urgency, he said. Yeah, exactly. There's an urgency and there's an intensity to that. You mentioned the fact that because of the confidential nature of these discussions, Jay couldn't speculate on the short or long-term future of Liv. He couldn't speculate on the short or long-term plans for the players who wish to return to the PGA Tour. I think it was actually Eamon who asked Jay whether the tour is, is vetting or considering any alternative investment options. And Jay was basically doing the negotiating publicly when he said, you know, when we created NUCO and PGA Tour Enterprises, like that's generated a lot of interest. But right now the sole conversation is with the PIF. Whether that continues it in has four plus right months, now. yes. Whether that continues four months later uh, remains to be seen. But I thought that was very interesting that he said, yeah, generated a lot of interest uh, outside just PIF. Well, and the interesting part of that, and he was also asked sort of a similar question two weeks ago in Memphis and had a very similar answer. I I will say that you don't have to dig too deep to see where this could possibly go. There's an investment firm who's involved with these negotiations on the PGA Tour side. There is an investment expert when it comes to sports leagues, Colin Neville, who's from the Rhine Group, who is now sort of a a special counsel to the players on this. Yes, so I think they could go a lot of different ways. There is one caveat to be made, and yes, they could go to any investment fund they wanted to if this doesn't pan out. If they get to December 31st and decide that, nope, this isn't going to work. Let's go our separate ways, live golf, Piff, you keep doing what you're doing. We're going to do what we're doing. The problem with bringing in a private investor is unlike the Piff, they would want results. They would want results much, much sooner than the Piff would ever want results. I mean, clearly, the public investment fund wants to make money eventually, but that's not their primary goal here. We've talked about their primary goal being you want to call it sports washing that's fine they just needed to get their foot seat in the, the door that's right they needed to get a seat at the table and that's what they did other pre- public investment i mean other investment funds 
they're going to want an investment. They just don't want a seat at the table. They want something back for what they're putting in there. And that puts the, the tour in a very unique and, and different position. Yeah, the tour, uh, obviously, uh, Monaghan today called it a transition year, a bridge year, a gap year until we get to the new schedule of 2024 where you're going to have the cadence of the eight signature events uh, to coincide uh, with the full field events that will create the top ten and the swing five and whatever other phrasing they have, basically be a player way uh, into those marquee events on the PJ Tour. A couple other headlines that I thought were notable. It's not, I guess, a guarantee the PJ Tour could return to uh, Century in Kapalua uh, for the season opener. He said he didn't think there was any reason right now for a plan B, and they're hopeful that they will return. But I guess he kind of had to be careful with the language there. And then it was your question. I was texting. I was screaming at the TV. I said, someone asked Jay Monahan about why they have declined to adopt the proposed rollback, uh, as was put forth by the uh, USJ and the RNA. The question that I wanted to pose to Monahan was why did the tour oppose that, and what is the better solution moving forward? Instead, you asked. Instead, you asked. What was what was your question? Uh, okay. Well, I didn't. I didn't want to go entirely with you. He addressed this, but well, he did not. Uh, the commissioner did not address this. Tyler Dennis, who is involved in these uh, talks with the USGA and the RNA, he he addressed this two weeks ago in Memphis. That's why I was reluctant. It didn't. It wasn't on top of my mind. That it needed to get asked when you texted oh, screaming, me, screaming at the TV. Uh, so I did ask, and the way I phrased the question was: Is there any update since the comment period has ended on the MLR? And do you envision a scenario where the tour could have one rule, and the major championships, at least two of the major championships, would have a different rule when it came to golf balls for elite players? Didn't get an answer at all. At all, no. didn't get an no. answer at all. I no. will say that I got a high five from Laura Neal at the PGA Tour, who's in charge of communications for the. PGA Tour because she cannot she couldn't tell me how happy she was that the press conference ended on a golf ball question considering everything else that's going on in the world of golf and I had to agree with her yes it seems silly when she told me this was going to be the last one I I think they're having to tiptoe around this one like everything else in that press conference because even though the comment period has ended these negotiations and whatever it is they're going to come to is going to kind of depend on how far the USGA and the RNA are going to be willing to bend on that and by that i mean tyler dennis did say that they like sort of a one golf ball solution let's call it that exactly what that's going to mean sort of depends on how far the usga and the rna are going to be willing to bend on about one ball for everyone right now what they're proposing is essentially an elite competition ball if it could be model local rule that they could just apply at elite men's competition and go beyond that. The idea could be, and again, you could have a scenario where the PGA Tour doesn't follow the MLR. Let's say that everything works out the way it works out, and the USGA and the RNA push forward with this model like local rule. There's no reason the PGA Tour has to follow this. They can decide that, okay, that it's not for us. And you could end up playing PGA Tour events with one ball and the major championships, at least two of the four major championships, with another ball. I don't see that happening. No I think they come to some sort of conclusion. But again, this kind of depends on is the USGA and the RNA willing to negotiate at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's very it's going to be very interesting to see because the governing bodies have have been resistant to basically dialing back the golf ball for folks like you and me. Like you're not trying to lose four to eight yards distance. I'm not trying to lose 10 yards off off my average drive. Like this is this is a problem that affects only the very tippy top of the men's professional game. And so they've been very resistant to dip into the uh, recreational game at all. While I think most PGA tour players, PGA tour officials just want to see some sort of uniformity across the game. 
Uh, I'm not sure who's going to bend in that one. The, the solution I could see, Rex, is them punting this until, let's say, 2030. We're, you know, basically two and a third years away from this potentially being implemented on January 1, 2026. I guess a, 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 a persuasive argument could be made that, hey, we've got a lot going on right now. The future of men's professional game is being determined in these backroom deals between the PGA Tour, the Saudis, and whoever else wants to play ball. Let's sort this out and then revisit this conversation. We're not totally against the idea of a rollback, but to do so in two years uh, when so much is still uncertain, that, that to me seems like a potentially log- logical compromise. And I think most people, at least on the PGA Tour side of the equation, the PGA of America side of the equation, who are against the MLR as it stands right now, would argue the same thing. I will tell you, and I asked Mike Juan this uh, when we played with him on Media Day, specifically his point was, We've given this almost a decade of conversation now. We've talked about this by the time it comes to implementation for almost 10 years. Like how much more time do we need? To your point, it's a really, really bad time in golf right now to throw something else into the mix that needs to get dealt with and needs to get negotiated. And you're right. I think most people involved outside of the USGA and RNA would agree. Let's kick the can and see where we are two years from now. All right. Let's transition to the PGA Tours season ender this week, the Tour Championship. At Eastlake, where you are currently located. I'd actually forgotten that next week this golf course is being ripped up and restored by your boy, Andrew Damn. Green, uh, so whose excited. work at Oak Hill uh, came very uh, highly praised by you on this year's podcast and on television as well. Basically, redoing some bunkers. There's going to be some uh, aesthetic uh, things. They're going to be changing some of the details of the green complexes and some of the angles. I'm excited because to me, uh, Eastlake. Uh, is a one-dimensional golf course. It suits a very particular style of player. Hello, Xander Shuffle. Hello, Roy McIlroy. Uh, and it's just it's just become outdated. It's kind of a mundane test of golf. I would love to see. I actually think this is it's criminally unfair that the eighteen million dollar FedEx Cup champion is being determined by a single golf course. How you do not rotate this tournament around? And I understand the proud partners of the tour championship, whether it's Southern company or Coca-Cola and they're really invested in this area. What I don't understand Rex is this, this golf course, like a a Kevin Kisner type is never going to win on this golf course. It is always going to be one of the longest straightest hitters who excels on this golf course, just because of the, the length, the narrowness of the fairways, the thickness of the Bermuda, of the Bermuda greens, like, it's it it pigeonholes these guys, and so to have the sole determinant of the season long champion at one golf course makes no sense to me. It has to be on some sort of two or three rotating course just to give everyone a, a fair shot. That's you're not spiel. putting your money on you're not putting your money on Brian Harmon this week. Is that what you're telling me? No, I'm not. Even 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 a Southern boy. I mean, the golf course, just plain and simple, does not suit a player like that. Let's put this in context that you, you'll understand because we, we talk about this a lot. Long-time uh, listeners. And Nancy, by the way, thank you so much for your comment. Nancy, I hope, so I hope this podcast is, is satiating you in, in many ways. No, no kidding. Uh, I will say I put it in context because long-time listeners will understand your frustration, my frustration, that we don't have a sponsor of said podcast. And in this particular case, let's say we did have a sponsor of said podcast. We cool. would go out of our way. Exactly. To make sure that sponsor was happy. I would like for it to be a grill sponsor of some, some sort. I alcohol. would like to, Anybody. I, alcohol. I would like for them to send us Both. a grill, said, said grill, or alcohol, said alcohol. Uh, we would, again, go out of our way to make sure that the sponsor was happy. 
that all being said, why do you think we're in Memphis in September? I mean, August. Why do you think we're in Atlanta in August? Do you think people want to play golf here in August? No. I'm just saying it bothers me. It, it bothers me, particularly, Rex. The FedEx Cup champion next year is going to receive $25 million. And you can probably count on one hand the number of players who have a realistic chance to win on that golf course, even irregardless of what the starting strokes are going to be. Did you say irregardless? I did. I'm oh, passionate no. about this. Is that not a word? That is not a word. You are going to get beat up on that one. I oh, did man. it once a long time I'm ago dog. on live TV, and my wife still hasn't let me live it down. Bunkmate will still hit me, slap me across the face with a very cold and wet, irregardless, honey, irregardless. Uh, irregardless, no, get, an adverb, get, according to I get what uh, you're saying. I'd much rather be in, in the Northeast right now. I'd much rather be in the Pacific Northwest right now. There are plenty of other places I'd rather be playing golf and covering golf than in Atlanta and in Memphis. And nothing against Atlanta or Memphis. This just isn't the time of year you want to be here. Coca-Cola is here, and they're a proud sponsor. FedEx is clearly a proud sponsor, and that's why we're in Memphis. That's the end of the story. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but it's not going to change. Uh, I understand it's not going to change. This is just a, pick your a pick your battles here. That's what I'm asking. I, I guess like when you when you equate it to the major championships, like yeah, not every player in the Masters field has the skill set capable of winning at Augusta National, right? But they also have three other opportunities to win a major championship throughout the year. This is literally the the be all and end all in determining the FedEx Cup champion. Uh, it's not the fairest way for me to do it. I have also been. Uh, in favor, Rex, of these starting strokes. I'm not, sh- not sure how you feel about it. We have not had the doomsday scenario of a guy who wins seven or eight, nine times throughout the season, and his only advantage is two shots as he gets the Tour Championship and then snipe one uh, left out of bounds as Roy McIlroy started his Tour Championship a year ago. We have not had that scenario. Sky Scheffler probably could have won seven, eight, or nine times during this season. Uh, instead, he is once again in the pole position, will have a two-shot lead over the player who hunted him down uh, on Sunday in the back nine at Olympia Fields. That is one Victor Hovland. He's beginning at eight under. Roy McIlroy's at seven. John Rahm at six. Lucas Glover at five. When you look at the starting strokes and the position, who do you have your eye on and who, I guess, do you think is going to prevail? I think Scheffler, it will be interesting, and I would encourage you since you're, you're doing the blogs today to go read what uh, John Rahm said about strokes game. And I hadn't thought about this. He, he was sort of asked if he likes it or not. And, and John being... Like I have found him to be one of the more sneaky players when it comes to having an opinion on things so that's very, very well sneaky. thought out. I, sneaky. Because <laughs> I, I feel like if you ask him the wrong question, it's not going to go well. Yeah, if you ask him about his putting, it's not going to go well. But his response was, he's a, he, he goes, I don't understand why if I'm starting this week fifth, I'm essentially five strokes off the lead. I'm also five strokes away from last place. He goes, that doesn't make sense to me. And when you put it in that context, context, I guess I get it. Like, if, you're, if you start this week fifth, you have had a really good regular season and a really good postseason. I mean, you've had to put both of those things together. You probably deserve something a little bit better than being just five shots back. I'm not quite sure how you do it other than just doling out more strokes to start the week. So does the winner start at 20 under par and then last place starts at even does, par? And you can I mean, does Spieth, does Spieth start at five over par? Probably. I mean, I guess that's another way to do it. And, and look, I think Rory proved last year that no lead is insurmountable over four days, especially on a golf course, as you pointed out, that clearly suits his style of game. You can go low. It's going to be another one of those weeks where it's soft and the players are going to take advantage of it. 
I keep going back to the idea that, no, it's not perfect. And I don't feel like they've ever gotten the quote-unquote playoffs perfect. However, I continue to go back to the idea that we are still, and I'm talking about the PGA Tour, playing meaningful golf during a time of year when there really isn't, hasn't been historically meaningful golf. I mean, we're about to get into football season. You and I have not one but two fantasy drafts that we're preparing for diligently, trying to actually get my plan have, on a board. Is it- I have, I have, I have one tonight. You have yet to join the NBC sports. Uh, what are you waiting for? I've, I sent you the email directly. Our commissioner, Jason gold, who is actually, li- who's literally cutting this podcast sorry, and putting this video up on YouTube. Jason. You've just been ignoring him. You're the last one. I had- I have not. It's been a very, very busy week in the Hoggard household since I got home from, Min- from Memphis. We're redoing our pool. We're redoing our pool deck. Everything had to come off the pool deck. It's, it's just amazing. Just you had you you haven't had thirty seconds this entire time. Amazing. Uh, all right, I'll get it done. Anyway, to that point, they have created something that is interesting during a time of year when it's been very, very difficult for golf to do that. They've created a foothold, and so I, I keep going back to no, it's not perfect, but it's still a very, very good system. And that was kind of John Rom's take that it's not where he wants it to be. He would much rather see it being a bigger spread, but in the context of we're playing golf for a lot of money at in big markets, that, that means something. Uh, I, I certainly don't disagree with what John Rahm's saying. Uh, we have not yet had the scenario where a player who begins at even par has made a significant rally and ended up winning the FedEx Cup. I think that would probably prompt uh some more kind of formula changes with this i i'm guessing the tour does not like the optics of some of their players already beginning the week uh, at plus five uh or in 15 shots back of a lead i'm just kind of guessing that that would be the case but i mean this is year five now of the staggered start you look at the four champions we've had two of them have begun as the 10 under par leader two of them have not roy McElroy, the both times he won in 2019 and again last year uh, did not begin in that pole position. And last year, I mean, Rory absolutely tore it up. He began the week, I believe, at four under par, tripled his very first hole, and then shot 17 under uh, in order uh, to win that golf tournament. 67, 67, 63, 66. Like, that's going to win any golf tournament, regardless of where you were starting in that position. I think it's also, Rex, like, we were very close to having one of the most boring Sundays on the PGA Tour scheduled. Scotty Scheffler had a six-shot lead heading into that final round at Eastlake, and he surrendered what is tied. And it turned game. out to be one of the most exciting Sundays yeah. on the PGA Tour schedule, I would argue. But I'm saying, so, so that what, what happened in that final round, like, matched the largest deficit or lead squandered in PGA Tour history. Like, that was basically an outlier. And yet, if Scotty Scheffler had gone on to win by four, five, six, seven, eight shots, I'd be totally fine with that. There has not been an undeserving winner of the FedEx Cup so far. It's been Rory twice. It's been Dustin Johnson. It's been Patrick Cantley. When you look at the quality of their seasons, this format is producing the most deserving FedEx Cup champion. That has not always been the case. No slight on some of these other players, whether it's Billy Horschel or Bill Haas or Brant Snedeker. Those FedEx Cup champions kind of came out of nowhere. By, by By no reasonable explanation can you say that those players had the best PGA Tour season. This system is not perfect. Uh, but I do think it is doing a, a good job of identifying who the best player that season was. No, it's 100% not perfect. And we can sit here and pick it apart. And I'm always very, very careful in these situations because if I don't have a better idea, I'm reluctant to be cr- overly critical of something. And I don't have a better idea right now. I will tell you that as difficult as this is to sort of wrap your mind around, and again, this was another one of John Rum's things he pointed out, that you can play for $18 million this week or you can play for FedEx or World Ranking Points. 
Because those are two separate things. You can play to actually win the FedEx Cup, to win this tournament, or you can play to win to, to come in first in what will be the adjusted leaderboard when it all gets taken care of Sunday night. That creates all of these different scenarios. It's some it's things we're going. It's distractions that you and I are going to tweet about on Sunday night. However, this is the best case scenario for the tour because essentially you've gotten rid of the idea, and I believe it was JT who a few years ago. He did not win the Tour Championship, but he won the FedEx Cup. And the first thing he said was he was angry that he didn't win at Eastlake. And the Tour does not want that. They don't want the guy who finished second at Eastlake taking their big check and being disgruntled about it. So they've gotten rid of that scenario. So, no, it's not perfect, but it's the best possible scenario that they've come up with to date. Yeah, I dig it. Even if it's not an exciting Sunday, which it very well could not be uh, this Sunday at the Tour Championship, uh, I would – I would kind of give that up as a fan to know that the FedEx Cup champion is deserving. I think that's a fair give and a take. Rex, let's give some micro takes. We saw Sky Scheffler get run down. I actually had it out on the golf course. Apparently, uh, I was a kiss of death last week. I went out to follow Spieth, uh, bogey bogeyed, and then uh, declined to talk to us in the parking lot. Not once, but twice. I ended up making it uh, 29th in the FedEx Cup standings. Then I wanted to go see uh, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, surely out victory at the BMW championship and said fails to get up and down from just short of the 15th green misses a six footer on 16 uh, three putts from seven on 17 including a miss from four feet per par which sealed the tournament uh, and then did not of course make a birdie on the 18th hole as well to finish two shots back of Victor Hovland make the case for why or why not Scotty Scheffler and if not who is the most likely to push him to push him this week you're talking about to win at East Lake when um yeah. I would say Scotty is still the obvious choice because, again, if he just putts average and doesn't have one of those abysmal putting rounds like he had in Memphis where he gave away four and a half strokes to the field. And last week he had two uh, of them. And if, if he can just avoid those. I mean, again, this is splitting. This has gotten to the point where it's diminishing returns. If you just give away a half a stroke around on the greens. Look, it's not a best-case scenario, but imagine what he does last week if he just does that. He wins by four, right? If I'm doing the math correctly, something along those lines. Not so I. You still have to lean into Scotty. I would say Rory is certainly – he continues to put himself in that situation. I thought the putter on Sunday was absolutely awful. I would expect him to go back to the, the spider putter this week because he's he's looking for answers in places I don't think he's going to find it, and, and he's going to continue to do that. Probably the others that you pointed out, Xander Schauffele, he had a good week last week. I think he's going to be uniquely motivated this week, and he's played this golf course well. So any of those players I think should be in the mix, but Scotty would be my favorite. My player of the year, Xander Schauffele, uh, currently winless, winless for this PJ <laughs> Tour season. But, but perhaps, perhaps we can get a, just a, a small sliver of solace in, in calling him FedEx Cup champion. Would not be enough for player of the year, uh, but it potentially could be enough uh, for FedEx Cup who, champion. Who would, would be it? your player of the year right now? Just out of curiosity, because that's always a story I'm going to work on Wednesday at Tour Championship Week. And it's, it's John Rahm, right? No. I would actually vote for Scotty Scheffler. I know he is uh, losing four to two in the wind department. It, it is very interesting, though, Rex, the fact that uh, the two leading protagonists of this PJ Tour season, at least on the golf course, have not won since the Masters. Scotty Scheffler has not won since the Players Championship. John Rahm has not won since the Masters. I think it's at least opened the door. Had Roy McIlroy won last week at the BMW, and then if he double dipped at the Tour Championship, I think like you could have made an argument for him the the resumes are very similar when you look to scotty and rom 
they each had a runner-up finish in a major championship. Rahm obviously won the Masters and then followed it up uh, with a distant tie for second at the Open. Scotty, meanwhile, he won the Players' Championship, called the fifth major. Uh, players on the PGA Tour certainly put it in that category and then had top three finishes at the PGA and the U.S. Open as well, even though he was kind of on the outskirts of contention there. The reason I would say Scotty Scheffler for my player of the year, you look from a statistical standpoint, like we're in historic territory now. He has, he has basically solidified the fact that this is the second best ball striking season in the shot link era, which began in 2004. Tiger's 2006 season was the pinnacle. He was like 2.98 uh, gaining strokes per round on the field from T to green. Scotty's in 2.7 territory. Like it's the second best season ever. And so had he just put it average, I know he hasn't had, he just put it average. I mean, we're talking about one of the all time great seasons in recent memory. I think that holds a lot of weight with players to see how dominant Scotty has been uh, with his particular skill set. And even though he doesn't have the victories, uh, he has played the best golf this season, the entirety of the season, and not just in what was a very, very hot stretch for John Rahm. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and leave that on the burner because that sounds to me like something we can get to next week uh, or two weeks from now whenever we're done talking about Didn't Ryder you literally ask me? Was that literally your question? Uh, I, no, I did. I didn't realize you were going to go that deep. And, and you make a good argument, but I still – you can't compare four wins in a, in a major to two wins in a player's. And I know you, you threw the fifth major in there sort of half-heartedly and, and just kind of – Look back to what happened in 2019, Rex. Sort of spilled it into my lap. And, and I don't uh, – no, I don't disagree with that. I, I, I think players are going to make that distinction, though. If it, I, I guess the comparison would be if both of them had four wins and one had, a, had the players and the other had the masters, then it's a conversation. But at this point, I, I don't even think they're in the same category. And you're absolutely What if Scotty right. wins the FedEx Cup? Uh, yeah, that, now that's entirely different. You have to take what's going to happen this week sort of out of the conversation as of right now. That's why I asked you as of right now. But that, that one's tough. And again, you, you made a compelling argument, and it kind of surprised me because I didn't think anybody could. I mean, if, if, if we're doing those silly projections things where if the tournament stopped right now and they don't stop before they start, but if the tournament stopped right now, he's projected 30th on the points list. So if, the, if everything stopped right now, who would be your player of the year? And you're arguing – for Scotty, I, I found that interesting based on just straight facts. Yeah, and I'm probably projecting ahead. Like, I think he's going to win the FedEx Cup, and then uh, mm. I think it's it's a very I don't know if that's safe it's a very that. solid case for for Scotty Scheffler. I mean he's he's played sure. twenty he's played twenty two times this year, Rex, and he has sixteen top tens. Rom was ten Rom was ten for nineteen. There were stretches of the season in which John Rom did not perform well. Meanwhile, Scotty sure. Scheffler went nineteen consecutive starts with a T12 or better. I mean, this is, this is Tiger-esque levels, not of, not of dominance, not of victories, no. not of any sort of historic stretch in that sense, but of, of consistency. That, that goes a long way with the, with the rank-and-file PGA Tour player who's popping up four, five, six times a year. To be able to do it 16, 17, 18 times is, is, is insanely impressive. But this is the player of the year that we're talking about. This isn't the most consistent player of the year. Not MCP. Who played the best? The question is who played the best this season? To me, that's Scotty uh, Scheffler. I go back to the year that Tiger finished. Again, we're turning this into a longer conversation than I intended it to be. I'll go back to the year that, that Tiger lost to Padraig Harrington. And when, when we, I remember asking Tiger specifically about who should be player of the year. And then we were at Eastlake when we were having this conversation. And he said, Padraig. And I said, because of the majors. And he said, straight up. And Padraig had won. Two majors, 
FaceTime call from my son. I guarantee this is about uh, about the, uh, one of our fantasy picks. Um, so I, I just keep getting caught up with the idea that you can't compare the Masters to the Players' Championship. It is the fifth major. I agree with you on that front. But as it stands right now, I have a hard time picking him. It's a hard. It's a harder. Tr- the players is harder to win than the Masters. The players is harder to win than the Masters. Um. All right. We we can pick this up again later. Okay. We'll. I'm sure we'll pick it up next week when the actual PJ Tour season uh, is done. I I should I should note. I don't think it's going to make a difference because neither player should be playing on the PJ Tour through the end of the year. But the player of the year voting does not end after this week. It ends at the calendar year in 2023, uh, according to the PJ uh, Tour. But I mean, it never. They, they've never factored into. Fall finishes. Well, yeah. I mean, look, they're, they're not. They're happened. not. They're not. They're not going to play in the Ryder Cup. Uh, will have no bearing in their individual performances. There, Rex. Let's transition to the Ryder Cup team. Top six Americans were finalized last week after the BMW Championship. Those teams, uh, those players who have already clinched their spots: Scotty Scheffler, no surprise; Wyndham Clark, Open uh, U.S. Open champion; Open champion Brian Harmon; Patrick Cantley; Max Homa; Xander Shoffley. and so Brooks Kepka, who had been safely inside the top six, essentially since he was a 54-hole leader and tied for second at the Masters, is the first man out. I do not foresee any scenario in which he is left off this team, uh, particularly because of how uh, safe he had been in the preceding months. And so the next in line, after Brooks at seven, Spieth, Cam Young, Kyle Morikawa, Keegan Bradley, and Sam Burns last week to make an impression for U.S. Captain Zach Johnson. He will make his picks a week from right now recording this podcast on Tuesday, August 22nd. He'll make them on Tuesday, August 29th. How are you filling out that roster? And can anything that happens this week at Eastlake factor into the final six? Oh, sure. Yeah, I think if, if Lucas Glover comes and does something, that's going to factor into the conversation. And I think you're right about Brooks Kepka. I will say it is interesting how the narrative has changed from where it was really just even a month ago where it seemed like he was locked to finish inside the top six. And even if he doesn't, he's going to be a pick simply because of what he did at the PGA and the Masters. And it's hard. We're having a hard time wrapping our minds around, is he playing well or is he not playing well, just because of the way Live Golf sort of, sort of pans out. We don't have the normal stats that we depend on. We don't have shot link. We can't sit here and say what a strokes gain on the green is. We can't say what a strokes gain uh, tee to green are. So we have a hard time sort of wrapping our mind around that. I still say that even at seven, He's going to be a pick. I know it's going to be a lot of fun on social media to see over the next couple of days about people sort of speculating. I, I, I don't know how Zach doesn't make him a pick. And look, this isn't really about Live Golf and the PGA Tour anymore. This is about someone. Do you want to win? Really, do you want do to you win? win? He can fit into the U.S. team room. I think he's proven at Cups Pass that they want him. He's, he can compete at that level. Like this isn't Phil Mickelson. This isn't going to be he's going to walk in the team room and everyone's going to stop talking and stare. Like that's not going to happen. Like, he, he, he's fine. He didn't join the lawsuit. He didn't speak publicly against the PGA Tour. He didn't speak publicly against Jay Monahan. So I think you need to consider all of those things. And as you go down the list, in my mind, Jordan Spieth is going to be on that team. It's just because I feel like that, that it's the way it's going to play out. I would even go as far as saying that Cam Young at nine is going to be on that team. I can't make any more predictions from there on out. And I, I know that's what you want to do. What's your, case, what's your case for Cam Young? Why, why do you think he's going to be on the team? I mean... Well, let's go. This isn't so much for Cam Young. This is for the system that's in place. <laughs> what, a, I, what, a, I, what a ringing endorsement, Captain. 
Yeah, I, I don't know that Cam Young is, is playing his best golf right now, and this is a bad time to struggle when it comes to the Ryder Cup. However, Zach Johnson is cut from a mold. I talked to Davis Love this week, who's one of his vice captains, just sort of about where they are in the process right now. And, and look, most of the recent captains, I think Jim Furyk being the primary one, they don't like the color outside the lines for him. And when you get to nine on the list, a captain has a really hard time at least trying to explain to themselves how this person didn't play well enough. Now, when you get to 11 and 12, maybe even 10, 11 and 12, then we can start having conversations. But I think Cam Young is safe where he is. And look, he could, it, it, the conversation could change over the next couple of weeks. My bigger deal, and, and I asked Davis this point blank, is it down to JT and Lucas Glover at this point? And, and we, it's a larger conversation that we can probably have about who we think the picks are going to be. But he said that's an oversimplification. When the time comes, and it'll come Sunday night, when the vice captains and the six players who've qualified, Zach Johnson, will all sit down and they'll all decide who the best six picks are going to be. I don't think that necessarily means it's going to come down to JT and Lucas, but I do think it's a conversation they're going to have to have. Uh, I do not think that Cameron Young is safe. I think five players are safe, and to me that's Brooks Koepka, Jordan Spieth, Kyle Morikawa, Ricky, Ricky Fowler, Fowler, and Justin Thomas, I don't think you ignore 16-5 and 3. And the fact that no one uh, outside of Lucas Glover has stepped up this postseason is a huge benefit for Justin Thomas. You, you don't have to make the argument of form versus pedigree because, quite frankly, uh, very well, few they have. Americans Lucas outside has. of uh, – Lucas you're, Glover, you're... Three, three weeks ago, was not on anyone's radar. Four, four weeks ago, he was straining just to keep his PJ Tour card. And so to sure. think that now he could be on the Ryder Cup team, which is still 40 – days away, I think is wishful thinking. And so to, to, to your point though, Rex, I see your sausage finger up. Uh, I, I think, I think that last pick is Cameron Young, Sam Burns, or Lucas Glover. Lucas Glover needs to win the tour championship. I think to be on that team, Sam Burns and Cam Young though, to, it's, it's basically a toss up. Uh, why, why, not. why the confidence in Lucas Glover? I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, well, that's why they changed the rule. That's why I called Davis because uh, he was he was the captain when they changed the rule. It was uh, essentially the Billy Horschel rule going into 2016 based on what Billy had done in 14. And the idea is you want the hot hand. Now, I'm going to kind of spin that on its ear. And, and I do think, I guess, Lucas could, could help my argument quite a bit. I, I'm with Todd Lewis. I do think that Lucas should get the last pick. And that's essentially what this is going to come down to. Between Lucas and whoever else, we can have that debate. But I do think he should get the last pick. However... I don't know what the rush is, and I would actually push for the idea that why does Zach have to make the picks next week? I mean, it's not like they have to get on a plane right after the picks and fly to Rome. We have some time between the Tour Championship this year and when the Ryder Cup is going to be. Give the players an opportunity. I just saw today JT is going to play in the first event of the fall, the Fortinet Championship. As give predicted, him an as predicted as last predicted. week of the podcast, which leads me to believe he's give on, him an opportunity. He's on that, he's on that Ryder Cup team. I, I, well, I think Jordan's going to have a say in that. I think Jordan wants him on that Ryder Cup team, and Jordan everyone wants. Has a lot He's the heart and soul of that team. You don't you don't leave that guy at home. No, I I don't disagree with you. My point is, give it three more weeks. Like, what's the rush? Are, are we really doing this just so guys can get fit for sweaters? To just to have the proper <laughs> team uniform? I mean, we can just show up lucas glover's a medium we saw him sweat through the best material money could buy in memphis it's not harsh your wicking pants it is going to be a little bit warm in rome let's get it's not going to be memphis uh warm but yes i I don't know what the rush is it would be my argument because the idea is you want the hot hand so let's say someone does play the next the first three events or the first two events of the fall the way lucas played 
the Wyndham Championship and in the, in the event in Memphis. Don't you want the hot hand? Like whoever that might be, let's say it's Sam Burns. I just think there is no rust. We don't think these things through well enough, I think, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you're not getting the hot hand at this point. You're going to have 40 days of cool-off period. You're probably going to have to add some sort of start. Now, the Ryder Cup team is going to have that uh, semi-formal, semi-informal uh, scouting trip uh, to Marco Savone Golf Club two weeks before the matches. That would seem to suggest there's a reason to have some sort of hard cap on this. The European Ryder Cup team is not making uh, its decision for a couple of weeks' time, I guess, no surprise, the Hogard Twins and Ludwig Aberg are both playing this week in the Czech Masters to get on Luke Donald's radar and potentially make one last-ditch effort to make that team. Uh, Rex, Lucas Glover, I think he needs to win this week. If you had to take Sam Burns or Cameron Young, which to me I think is the more realistic conversation, which one are you taking and does it depend on who finishes better this week? No, I don't think you can let it come down to one week. I think that would be silly. I, I, I would look – and look, I guess you're, you're making a good argument. So if it really is going to come down to, to one pick for those three players and you, you're kind of basing it on the idea, I don't think Lucas has to win this week. But let's say that he, he doesn't play as well as he finished, did for that Finished play. T22 last week at the BMW Championship. Which it wasn't terrible when you consider all the golf that he's played. And, and the Only dude was 49 white. guys in the field. Yep. I mean, middle of the pack, clearly. Um I, I would say I would actually lean towards Sam Burns and only because I don't know that Cam, Cam still seems like he's struggling specifically with his putting. I don't know how much he enjoyed being on that President's Cup team last year based on body language. And so I, I think Sam probably fits into the team room a little bit better. And again, at this point, you're sort of splitting hairs between the three of them. Yeah, I think it's a very, very close call between those two players. I would side, as I said, with Sam three. Burns. He's the better putter, 11th on the PJ Tour, strokes game putting, Cameron Young. 150th similar drivers of the golf ball, even though cam is a little bit better. And I don't think that the friendship with Scotty Scheffler can be discounted. I think every single player on that American team would like to play with Scotty Scheffler the way he is hitting the golf ball, but to have that built in chemistry guys who play a lot of golf together uh, all the way dating back to junior golf. uh, I don't think that can be discounted either. It will be very interesting to see always one of those underlying subplots when you get the tour championship, because I do believe Scotty Scheffler will win the fast cup uh, trophy by a handful of shots. All right, you said it was a very busy week for you at home, Rex. I know. Even though I didn't get the snappy chats, I know you still fired up the grill. What did you have, and how delicious was it? Uh, it was something that I saw on Instagram where, like, I, I've got the Smash Burgers down to, to a science, but it was kind of, I'm trying to think of what the best name, kind of like a patty melt Smash Burger, mm-hmm. and you, 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 you grill some onions alongside mm-hmm. of it, and you, then you grill them with the bun, and bun sort of upside down. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen this before unbelievably good like uh, trust me i i will not be making smash burgers in the future we have all decided in my household that that's the way we're going to go apologies for uh, moaning uh into the mic as i just did as you were describing the fatty melt a little dirty mm. uh, i packed i packed out a couple lbs uh myself in chicago a couple of uh chicago dogs uh several chicago beef sandwiches uh, even a deep dish pizza one night from Lou Malnati's. Uh, it was all very, very good. I'm leaving on Thursday for East Lake, so I will not be firing up the grill uh, here the next couple of days. Have a fantasy draft to attend to on Tuesday night. That's going to be uh, consuming all of my attention. And then Wednesday night, obviously, you know, we'll be balling out on the pickleball courts as well. I'm sure you and I will get a good dinner. We, I will not be in attendance at the PGA Tour media dinner, uh, which was last year fantastic. Racked up about a $20,000 bill. 
Yeah, that's going to be very, very good. But next week, uh, it will be going down at the Labner House as we get things finalized for fantasy football season and football season in general. The new offset will be delivered by my boy Chris Gentry uh, in Winter Park. So that will be great as well. Very much looking forward to the offset being delivered. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Make sure you go to golfchannel.com for all the news, notes, reaction, features, commentary, podcast, videos from the final week of the PGA Tour season. Rex and I will be on site. Rex, what do you think? Should we do a recap on Sunday night or Monday, the PGA Tour season? Or do we uh, wait picks on, on Tuesday? Well, I, I think we probably need to do both. So I was going to talk to you offline, but since we're going to go ahead and do this online, uh, why don't we try to do something short on Sunday night? I think both of us are heading for the mini airport. Uh, a mini pod before we go to the airport. Just so you guys know, it's going to be 15 minutes. It's a hard 15 out because we do have flights to catch to get home on Sunday night. And then, of course, we have to do something to follow up on the picks. Sounds like a good deal to me. That's Got what we're that, giving Jason? you, folks. Folks, that's what we're giving you. Mini pods. And regularly scheduled podcasts. Content, it's, it's, content, content. It's amazing that this podcast is not sponsored by either a grilling company or an alcohol company. And here we are, sitting here on August 22nd. All right, let's get to do it for this edition. We'll talk to you guys on Sunday night. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.